Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid Podcast. It is Sunday night. We are just a few days away from the European Super Cup where Real Madrid are going to play Atletico Madrid. Um, and joining me on the eve of the Spanish Super Cup where we were all thrilled to watch um, a very professional match in Morocco is Jeremy Baron of Into the Calderon. Jeremy, how are you doing? I am great, Tian. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, funnily enough, we were supposed to record this um, three hours ago and we realized the Spanish Super Cup was at the same time so we both pushed it um, to record a bit later did either of us want to watch the Super Cup we just had to watch it because we just felt like we we had to know what was going on yeah I wasn't that excited about it but it turned, out, it turned out to be a pretty good game of course Sevilla let me down at the end but it turned out to be a pretty good game Sevilla will, will only let you down in a, in a cup final against Barca um <laughs> Uh, it was okay. I think um, there were there were some interesting signs. I think um, I don't like the I, I hate those stadiums that are the, the the crowd seems so distant from the pitch. Yeah, and I guess I think there are a lot of positives, Jeremy, of having the um, the Super Cup one leg, and and uh, financially, I think it's actually more lucrative for both teams, believe it or not, despite it only being one game. What you definitely miss is having a leg at the Sanchez Pijuan in this situation. Oh yeah, you do, and I I, I think the federation is as much crap as we give them, uh, deservedly so. But I, I think the federation handled this well. I mean, Sevilla tried literally three different ways to back out of this game. Yeah, uh, so they wanted it over two legs. The federation said no, <laughs> and it is better over one leg. Like so many times in the past, we have seen the second leg mean very little. Just last year, we saw the second leg, you know, basically mean nothing. Um, you know, it, it should be played in Spain. Like, okay, there's there's a point to be made for that, but so many of these these Super Cup showpieces are being moved, you know, overseas are being moved to more exotic locations, and it's it's a money grab, but it is what it is. And then you know, Sevilla went on to say, oh, they can't register all these non-EU players, and like, and then the federation says, well, you can actually register as many as you want. Yeah, I I I, I don't think 
Sevilla and the Federation are on good terms right now. Um, no. <laughs> very much not. From so this was, I guess, an okay prelude to the main show. It was an appetizer to the to the to when the big dogs actually play on Wednesday. Oh yeah. This the European Super Cup, which we all know is regardless of how much we care about it or not. If since it's a Madrid derby, we're going to care about it. Um, and Juan Fran nicely setting the stage, um, lighting the fire since last spring when he he asked us to salute to the to the Europa League uh, campeones. Um, and here we are months later. Atleti, new look. Real Madrid, new look. I gotta say, um, and we talk about this on the Churros of Tacticas podcast almost weekly. Atletico have had a really exciting summer, um, and I think fans should be excited. I have a, I have a couple questions, and I want to pick your brain about it. But how do you feel about Atleti's um, summer and and their improvements for next season? The only thing that's missing is the long-awaited uh, Jean Oblak renewal. And but that's Diego, inevitable, right? Yeah, and a Diego Godin renewal. But it's expected both of those get done. Uh, other than that, it's been just about as good a summer as you could have hoped for. Atletico spent about 120 million euros to really uh, boost this team and really give give themselves a squad that that can compete on all fronts, that can as, aspire to everything, as as the Spanish papers love to say. Uh, Atletico have gone much deeper this summer, uh, particularly on the wings uh, from Tomas Lemar, uh, the record signing, uh, Nelson Martins for free. Those two players are, are going to play a huge role in this new look Atletico. Rodri coming in from Villarreal is probably the best signing of any of them, though. Um, I've been on record saying that yeah. Rodri could be the most impactful signing Atletico have made since since Griezmann and Oblak four mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, just overall, really good business. Uh, even even the sales. Uh, Versalco is the only one that's confirmed so far, but Kevin Gamero is going to go to Valencia, and in, in a matter of hours, it, it's going to be done. Atletico and Valencia reached an agreement today. Uh it's been just about a perfect window. Uh, no big exits. Uh, everyone who needed to stay has stayed. Most of them have been given new contracts. Uh, Atletico are finally, it looks like, going to take that next step and under, and under Simeone, which we kind of debated for a while if Atletico were ever going to make that evolution under Simeone into a more attacking, a more proactive side. Uh, I think Az ran a headline the other day saying the, the super attaque uh, del Atletico. And... I think that that's a pretty good way to put it because you have uh, Griezmann and Costa for a full season now. Uh, Gelson and Tomas are going to play big roles in this team. Uh, Angel Correa and Nikola Kalinic at, adding uh, their own kind of flavors, their own spices to the attack. It's been a really productive summer. And it, it's this is a team that, as I said, can definitely aspire to to win the biggest trophies, legitimately aspire to win the biggest trophies. Atletico aren't the underdogs anymore. No, they can't be. I mean, if the top three is the very bare minimum that they can finish with the squad that they have now, um, I think to me anything less would be a huge disappointment with the amount of money they've pumped into it. It's funny because two seasons ago, or even last season, even this summer actually, we had we weren't sure what was going to happen to Griezmann. All of a sudden, you you have these go from these thoughts, which are: Is Griezmann going to leave? Is Simeone going to leave? Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, when you and I recorded sometime before before last season, uh, we weren't sure, and you weren't sure if if Diego Simeone was going to stay. Um, yeah. And if he if he went, I think Gris, Griezmann would have gone with him. Yeah. You go from that to um, having a bunch of depth on the wings. I mean, and Gelson Martin Martins for free was a, a ridiculous coup from. A sporting team that just kind of crumbled and lost everyone uh, over a, uh, just a mad, just complete madness over there. Um, you took advantage. You pounced on that. Johnny, like for seven million, is incredible insurance. <clears throat> um, so you, you have depth at the fullback position. The one, the couple, the couple question marks, I guess, if there are any, um, because we already know how good Rodri is. With Versaico going, there was some some people who were trying to figure out what was the point of doing that. But then you get a very promising, albeit unproven in La Liga, uh, right back of Santiago Arias. Mm-hmm. I guess you kind of just turn Gamero into Kalinic, who is one year younger. It's he's not very like going to be a prolific goal scorer, but he's not a bad player to bring off the bench. I don't know if 
there's anywhere like you could theoretically strengthen even. You even got Adan for one million. Yeah, Adan for a million was like low key. That was like my favorite signing because I love Adan. I think he's a really criminally underrated goalkeeper. And he turns it's a into big love Yashin against us every time. <laughs> yes, it, it, it's a big upgrade over Axel Werner, who's gone on loan to Huesca. It's also an upgrade over Moya, who who was always solid, sturdy, usually reliable, but uh, I don't think quite has Adan's athleticism. Doesn't have uh, quite have Adan's experience. Uh, Adon just helped get better since the Europa League, lest we forget. Uh, there, there aren't really many weaknesses in, in this team, uh, if any. Uh, it's they've done a great strengthening all over all over the pitch. Again, Versalco's sale was weird, but it, it was clearly board driven. Uh, they wanted to capitalize as much as they could on Versalco's World Cup. I don't think they capitalized that well. But you still own him, don't you? Is it a loan? It's it's a loan with a quote unquote option to buy. Inter are, are almost okay. certainly going to pick it up unless he just gets hurt again or he is really bad. Inter are going to pick it up. Mm. Atletico wa- wanted to move him on. Uh, he wasn't that happy in Spain. He wanted to go back to, to Italy. Okay, great. You bring in Arias, who is a bit of a question mark, but all indications are that you know he's a very attacking fullback. Uh, can really complement a winger like Gelson. Just uh, that pace on the right hand side will be really really fun to, to see when Yeltsin and Arias take the pitch together. Uh, the one area maybe Atletico could have used another signing in is, is in central midfield. There are only four central midfielders in the team, but they're all really good. You know, you have Rodri and Tomas, uh, Koke and Sal. That's a really good quartet, and it's going to be extremely competitive. Um, have not watched any Atletico games this preseason. I know you've lost to Inter recently. Um, not that I guess it's a past precedence anyway of what happens in the season, but Anything you've seen from preseason, um, kind of what that indicates to you the how the team will line up on Wednesday. I know I've, I heard reports Simeone has been kind of playing with a four-three-three. Um, he may deviate from his previous schemes and try to fit in more of the attacking players. Any any premonitions from your side? Yeah, I'm, I'm just recovering from finishing 17th in the International Champions Cup table. Ooh, devastating. <laughs> That one hurts. Uh, that, if it makes you feel any better, our ICC, I think we won one game in our history. I think we actually won the competition in like 2012, but we've been, you, we've been underachievers since then. How do you underachievers? How do you win that competition? I didn't know there was a trophy until like three days ago. Well, then maybe I just made that part up. Who knows? <laughs> but anyway, yeah, the, the preseason's been weird. Atletico only won one out of five in 90 minutes. They won two games total. Uh, and that win was... Uh, very workmanlike 1-0 win at Cagliari, who finished 16th in Serie A last year. Uh, Atletico are still rusty. Uh, yesterday against Inter, or Saturday night against Inter, was really the first time we saw a lot of these new signings take the pitch. Uh, Griezmann played his first preseason minutes, wearing the captain's band, interestingly enough. Uh, Vitolo got his first preseason minutes. He's missed the entire preseason with a knee injury, which is a bit concerning. Uh, Kalinic made his debut. Uh, Gelson played a bit more. Uh, Lemar played a bit more. Uh, Costa got his first start. So there's still a lot of pieces coming back, either from the World Cup or from their first days in training as new arrivals. They looked a bit rusty. Uh, I think only two or three shots on target the entire game against uh, Inter, so they didn't really challenge Andanovic much. Uh, defensively, they've been very solid this preseason. That's never really a concern, though, in, in the Simeone coached team. It, it's going to take a little bit of time, and Simeone is moving more toward a 4-3-3. Uh, I think eventually you may see this team line up in a in a diamond because Simeone does love the four four two, but with Lemar in the team and Simeone seeming to prefer Lemar more through the middle, you could see a, a scenario where Costa and Griezmann are up top and Lemar is right behind them. So that's eventually what Simeone could be working toward, and you just load up the bench with with a bunch of wingers and a bunch of pace uh, for late in the game. But the, the team that took the pitch against Inter, it was it was a 4-3-3. Costa was flanked by Lemar and Correa up top. The midfield was Coque, Sao, and Tomas. Uh, Godin and Jimenez at the back. I think that's probably going to be... And Felipe and Juanfran were the fullbacks. I think that's probably going to be the team that takes the pitch Wednesday. You, you might see Rodri come in. Uh, Griezmann could still theoretically convince Simeone to, to, that he should be starting that game. But... That's probably going to be the team that, that takes the pitch Wednesday. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting uh, with Lemar in particular because Simeone really does seem to want to play him through the middle. 
That's interesting. I so I think um, one thing about Lamar that I want to say is that everyone talks about how he he'll contribute offensively, which I I know he will. Like I think him, I think Diego Costa is gonna love playing alongside Lamar uh, and Martins because they're able to just feed him from the flanks. It, but also, uh, what I was going to say is that Lamar defensively does a lot of good work that goes unnoticed. I think he, like Simeone, will love that side of him. That he'll be comfortable playing in any any scheme you put him. If you ask him to just track back and play a bit defensively and cut passing lanes, he does it really well. Um, if, so, assuming everybody's healthy in a big game next season, four through three, it would basically go like this, right? All Black, Jimenez, Godin, Felipe Luis. Um, I assume Juan Fran, unless Arias really just steps steps up and, and overtakes him quickly. Uh, Rodri, Saul, Koke. Then you have Lamar, Grizzy, De Acosta. That sounds about right. It, it, yeah, Luke, Lucas not being an automatic starter still is strange, considering he just won the World Cup as Francis. Well, Durant. unfortunately for him, Felipe Luis is still alive and walking. But yeah. But would you? But now that you have Johnny, would you put Lucas at center back, back to center back? When Johnny comes, when Johnny comes back, yeah, it, it's going to be a really interesting uh, situation because Juan Fran's going to leave next summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in the of his contract, and he's. I would be stunned if he renewed. This is going to be his last season. So Johnny comes back. You have him. You have Arias. You'll probably still have Felipe, and you'll and you'll have Lucas plus plus Godin. So it's going to be a real shuffling of the pack next summer. As for this season, though, Lucas is probably still going to be the left back. I think he he should be the starting left back, considering Felipe is coming off a pretty devastating leg injury. I know he's healthy now, but he did break his leg just five months ago. Yeah, Lucas did just win the World. It's it's hard to bench a player who just won the World Cup as his nation's starting left back. Yeah, yeah. No, no, you're right. I, I, like sometimes um, it's possible that Felipe Luis, based on just his reputation alone, gets in and. He, like the, I know you and I both like him a lot. He's 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 probably one of the most underrated left backs of maybe the past half a decade, if you ask me. Um, and he did play the World Cup, but no, you're right. I you know it's hard to, it's hard to argue against that logic as well. Um, does it ever blow your mind that like two seasons ago, was it two seasons? It was the last season um, that we were just talking about Teo and. And yeah. now we're. What are we talking about? Teo is going to go to loan to Sociedad, and uh, Lucas Hernandez, his brother, who no one was talking about a year ago, is a World Cup winner and uh, one of the best defenders in La Liga last season. Does that yeah. blow your mind? That wasn't quite the story that many people thought was going to unfold after Atletico sold Teo two summers ago. No. Last summer. Um, yeah, that wasn't how it was supposed to unfold, but it's how it's gone. Uh, yeah. Teo, I think, spent a lot of time focusing on him and himself and his brand, and Lucas focused more on the football. I mean, it, it's kind of harsh to say, but I think that's that's frankly what happened. And this this is a, this loan though is a really good chance for Teo to get back on track. I think he's going to do really well at La Real, especially if they keep Oyatza ball in there. Uh, this is a really big chance for him to get grounded and, again and get centered. But he's never going to be his brother. His brother just won the World Cup. Yeah. Um, so given that, like, we can kind of guess what the starting lineups will be, what, how do you feel looking at this Real Madrid team from, as a rival? Do you, do you think that it has regressed? Do you think that there is something exciting that Lopetegui is doing? Do you think that it, it's really funny and interesting to get to kind of gather the different perspectives, not only within the fan base but also from the rivals, because you have so many extreme views about how the season will go. Um, where some people are really excited about it and the juego de posición that Lopetegui will implement, and um, there's a certain cohesiveness that goes into um, his schemes, and it's looked fluid at the very least in preseason, um, even if that really means nothing. And there are others who really feel like this is a club that's going into a dark era um, without Ronaldo. I- I'm curious to know from an outsider looking in um, and arrival at that, how do you see this Real Madrid team? They're still extremely good and extremely dangerous. Uh, this isn't Zidane's attack anymore. I think 
what Lopetegui has started to implement this preseason, it, it's been a lot more fluid. You're right. The buildup has been a lot more patient. There's not as much crossing, which I know is a big relief to you and the rest of the, the managing Madrid. <laughs> uh, the crossing has been vastly reduced. Uh, this is also Gareth Bale's team now. There's no mistaking it. Uh, well, Bale, Bale and Isco, but there's no doubt Bale has stepped into that leadership or at the very least co-leadership role uh, with, with Isco there and, and Cristiano gone. Uh, this this new BBA with Asensio in for Cristiano intrigues me. I, I'm not quite sure how Lopetegui is going to go about it because there are a couple ways he can go about it. He can play Asensio as a false nine. He can play Bale or Benzema through the middle. Really, any of them can play through the middle. And that is, in some aspects, a more frightening possibility because they can just switch up that front three all the time and give uh, fullbacks a, a different look each and every time. Uh, I wonder what he's going to do with Casemiro. Uh, he, obviously, he coached Casemiro before at Porto, but I wonder how his role is going to change. And all, just about all the play is going to end up going through Isco, which isn't a bad thing because Isco is immensely talented. I, I, I don't know. It's still a very dangerous team. I did kind of expect them to go out and make a big splash, a big signing, but they haven't done that. They've been It's been a very measured response to losing Cristiano, almost like they were kind of you know prepared for this. And I know preseason doesn't mean a whole lot in the grand scheme of things, but they've been very calm and Lopetegui's methods, uh, he seems to be imparting uh, his methods very well to this point. Well, I think um, the whole, I mean, one of the biggest storylines, apart from obviously selling the goat, was that uh, the fact that they didn't replace him. And... um, and the discussion always just goes back to who who would you replace him with, and who was available and who wasn't, and the ones that could that could even come close to Cristiano Ronaldo just weren't available. Um, I think there's a there's a lesson to be learned from, let's say, when uh, Barcelona sold Real Madrid, sold Figo to Real Madrid, and. Yeah. And then replaced, spent that money on replacing him with a bunch of like these uh, weird names like Petit and Overmars, all like really good players, by the way. Like, but they just they just didn't spend it wisely. And um, and then the flip side is you could instead of doing that, you could you could spend it all on one player. And that one player in this case was probably going to be someone like Hazard, who again, it's just the Isco or Asensio type role in the starting lineup that's that those are the minutes you're going to be taking away so it to me it was logical not to do it you know and to just build from within and and replace from within um that part was logical to me so i'm in the camp that is excited about this new era i think um losing the greatest player in club history is never going to be easy at the same time like you just kind of have to take a leap of faith with this coach and let him implement his his ideas of and the way he plays, um, and I think there is a lot of talent in this team. I think it does lack someone, especially if Bale gets hurt, um, which because is which, yeah, I mean, would you know we? It, I don't want to be the type of person who just spews negativity on the podcast, but just based on track record, it's it's not inconceivable Gareth Bale gets injured and that's that part is worrying but um I think overall it's it hasn't been as disastrous as a summer as, as some fans made it out to be um yeah made it a complete disaster but it looks like you know Modric is, is gonna get that new contract yeah uh, yeah there, there are all those questions what happens if, if Bale gets hurt is Borja Mayoral ready to step into that bigger role what happens if Benzema has another poor season uh, what happens if Asensio, with the the surge in game time he's going to get, what if he disappoints? Uh, where are they going to get the goals from? But you you can't really replace Cristiano's goals. That's never been the point. And signing someone like Hazard would really not have moved the needle much. It just would have been an, another cook in the kitchen. Uh, and all those other targets, like someone like Harry Kane or Lewandowski, were just really unattainable or not up to the standard. Yeah, no, that was it. I mean, like the market is what it was. Like the players who could have really moved the needle were just not on the table and the ones who um were on the table just were not going to move the needle and that's that's how it was um we're going to take some questions some of the questions we're going to take are going to bring us back to this full circle um 
I guess before we move on to questions, I want to ask you, how relieved were you when you saw Griezmann's um, announcement? Was it before the World Cup? His yeah, decision? Literally a couple days before the World yeah. Cup. Uh, or before France's first game. Actually, took after the World Cup started. Uh, I actually watched the entire decision documentary. I actually found it online and watched it. You know I still haven't watched it? Yeah, don't. <laughs> it's not worth it. I just uh, I just checked Twitter and I was like, okay, that's great. That's all I need to know. Right. Yeah. It was very overblown. It was very, uh, it was what you expected, but um, massive sigh of relief. Uh, it, it seemed like in the previous days, the past, the, the prior three or four days, rather, uh, before the documentary aired, it, it seemed like uh, Griezmann was leaning that way that he was going to stay and he was actually going to turn down Barca after the previous year of, of us saying on our podcast that, hey, he's going to leave. We need to figure out what to do. Uh, but no, he ended up staying. And it seems like, this hopefully this is the last time we have to talk about this for a while uh, it, it seems like he's committed at, at the very least his, his short term and maybe even medium term future to Atletico and that's gigantic not just for Atletico and, and his brand but for La Liga as well I mean behind Messi uh, Griezmann is probably La Liga's second most marketable asset now yeah no he is I mean the, the fact that Atletico not only have um, a, have retained a great player but in terms of marketability, I don't know if they've ever had a player like him. Maybe since what? I mean, Torres comes close, but no, no, I don't think he was on Grizzlies level in terms of marketing. Paolo Futre, probably. Who? Paolo Futre, probably back in the 1980s. Okay. Got him from Sporting after, um, or Port, uh, from Porto after Porto won the, the Champions League. It's a huge asset to retain. Yeah, it's been mm-hmm. a long time. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Patreon.com slash Managing Madrid is where you go to pledge. Um, uh, you get different rewards based on your pledge. You can sponsor the show. You can um, get access to bonus shows. <clears throat> so please check it out if you'd like to support the show. First Patreon question is from Adrian Rios. He says, Hi guys, I've, been, I've seen rumblings about Rodrigo Moreno to Madrid. The coach likes him, and although Valencia have claimed a high fee, they might be more willing to let him go now that they have Batshuayi and Gamero. What are your thoughts? I know he's good, but is he good enough for Madrid? Is he a better catch than, say, a Timo Werner, uh, who's younger but had less goals than Rodrigo last season and is not proven in La Liga? So I'd be curious to know what your thoughts on this, Jeremy. I think you know Rodrigo, you know Gamero, you know these guys as well as anyone. Um, Valencia already to me had um, possibly the best among the best striker depth in La Liga last season so now they add Batshuayi they add Gamero they still have Rodrigo in the squad um, what's going on with Zaza is he still in the team yeah he's still there he's still yeah, there he was, he was going to go to Milan but that fell apart Gattuso said he didn't want him before all this happened and, and Valencia got these guys <clears throat> um we, there were murmurs about Rodrigo going to Madrid and the fee that Valencia reportedly wanted, which was like 80 million or north of that, is a bit too steep for a player like Rodrigo to me. Uh, having said that, I think the alternative is that you get him for a bit cheaper. Now that Valencia maybe have these strikers, they, they maybe, maybe they decide to part with him for 60 million, let's say. Rodrigo to me, off the bench and a sporadic striker is is good enough for Real Madrid, like a full stop. I think he's, assuming you're signing Rodrigo of last season and not the one of seasons prior where he couldn't even score more than five goals in the league. Right. Assuming you sign that version of, of him, I think it's a great signing. Rodrigo was very good last season, but it, it's the track record that's a concern because last season was really the first season where he took that that next step and became a a lethal counterattack threat. Well, let me ask you something. If you sign Mohamed Salah this season, would you be signing the Salah of last season or the Salah of Roma? I'd be signing the Salah of last season. Well, would that apply to Rodrigo too then? I, th- I think it would. Yeah. Rodrigo last season was excellent. And he's been, he's been good in the preseason from what I've seen as well. Uh, but Valencia have been consistent all summer that Rodrigo's buyout is 120 million euros. He doesn't leave unless someone pays it. Uh, they told Atletico that when Atletico were interested in him uh, during the springtime when they were looking for a reason replacement and they told other teams that that very same thing including Real Madrid and Valencia and Real Madrid don't have a very good relationship anyway so they would definitely have to pay the, the full amount it's a, it's a good point 
even then, uh, I think Valencia are going to roll with, with this forward quintet. Uh, someone's going to have to be the odd man out. It's probably going to be Zaza because uh, they just acquired Batshuayi from Chelsea and they are about to, well, they already announced today that a deal has been agreed for Gamero. Atletico haven't announced it yet, but Valencia have. Uh, they're they're going to roll with it. And yeah, these strikers are all of a, of a pretty similar profile. Um, one of them is probably going to have to play a bit on the wing, probably going to be Santimina because uh, he, he has had uh, experience. I completely wider. forgot about Santimina. Yeah, I mean, there, there's five of these guys now, and they're extremely deep up front, but there's no way all of them can play at the same time. Uh, it kind of makes the Batshuayi signing a little unnecessary in my eyes, but he's a, he's a very good player. I'm sure he'll do well there. Just someone's going to be the odd man out, but no question they have a lot of depth there, and they're going to keep Rodri. Well, Rodri. you have uh, Zaza kind of was put into a, the doghouse by Marcelino last season um, yeah. after, a, after a great first half of the season for him. So I would say, and I think Gamero will probably not be the, one of the main guys, given that he's kind of faded a bit in La Liga since he left Sevilla. So that, to me, leaves the three main guys for two positions, because Marcelino likes his 4-4-2. Then you go, it's Mina, Batshuayi, and Rodrigo, those three. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see much of Zaza or Gamero yeah. next season. I think that they're there as insurance for now. I don't know. Um, he might move on from Zaza like midway through the season. I I'm surprised he's still there. He won't be counted on. I mean, yeah. but Camaro, they they fought to sign Camaro. Like Marcelino really wanted him. Uh, part of me doesn't really know why, <laughs> but another another part of me does because theoretically he's a very good fit for that system. For Simeone's system. For Marcelino's system. For Marcelino's system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was never never a Simeone striker, which is why he kind of struggled over his two years in the capital. Uh, but for Marcelino's system, I think he's a very good. He's potentially a very good fit. Essa Hariri asks, um, "Hey guys, I hope you had a nice weekend." Likewise, Essa. Um, Essa says, "I have a couple of questions. One is J Lo. Um, by the way, uh, Jeremy J Lo is Lopetegui. That's his. This is what some some of the fan base calls him. Um, We're already calling him J Lo. Right? Well, because this this is a kind of my fault because I put out a tweet and a poll and I said, "What are we calling him?" One of the options was J Lo, and J Lo like won by a landslide. So um, that and, and yeah, and that that's uh, that's where we are now. So Essa says, "Is J Lo thinking of playing Cruz as an anchor? He has done that in the preseason, but this failed miserably during Ancelotti's second season as Cruz is not the best defensively." Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this. But I think so. I'm not. I'm not the biggest fan of Kroos as the anchor. I think, but I also would say the reason that it failed so miserably in 2015 with Ancelotti was because Real Madrid just had no depth in that midfield. There was no pure anchor. Um, that was the year we lost Chabi and replaced him with Kroos. Um, not necessarily like for like, but um, that's what happened. And we also lost Di Maria, and um, we didn't. We had Iaramendi in the squad, but Ancelotti never really trusted him to the point where we had so many injuries, and instead of putting Iara there, he put Ramos there as a defensive midfielder. I believe against you guys, actually. That's right. Second yeah. leg of the Champions League quarterfinal. Ramos was a central midfielder. Yeah, um, and Iara was on the bench somewhere or back home um, watching the game. I don't know. But <laughs> uh, I think that, that season in particular, we were so thin in midfield that it overran and overburdened Kroos. Um, while I don't think he should be the anchor, and I like him in front of an anchor, I don't think it's a terrible option to have, like just sporadically here and there. Um, do you have any thoughts on this? I, I agree with that. Uh, not only has has Cruz struggled as an anchor with uh, with Real Madrid, he struggled there for Germany as well. He at the World Cup just this past summer, he was overrun yeah. when. Jurgen Lowe tried to play him as, as a defensive midfielder. Well, the best he looked in Germany when, uh, with Germany when he basically lit up um, the, the tournament in Brazil four years ago was he was playing in front of Schweinsteiger and Federer. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I am not a fan of... Actually, I am a fan of it because it means Real Madrid will lose. But I'm not a fan of it uh, if you're playing Cruz as an anchor. That's not what he's, he's, he's good at. Uh, we have... Quite a, a backlog of him kind of struggling to, to take in pressure. Uh, playing in front of someone like Casemiro, uh, that's where he has always been at his best. Yeah, uh, 
kind of goes full circle to what you said about Casimir earlier in the podcast. You're not sure, of, you know, where he'll fit. Um, we haven't seen him much because he's still kind of getting back from the World Cup and getting through match fitness and stuff. Uh, he, we can't forget that Lopetegui was basically the guy who really gave him um, a chance at Porto and really likes Casemiro and likewise. I think, I don't know how true this is, but certainly with Kovacic going out alone, it makes it easier. But I think it's very likely we'll see Marco Sorrente and Casemiro rotate through that anchor position, which I'm excited about. I know you are because you love Marcos. I do. Um, the second part of Esther's question is, I know it's too early, but can you point out the main things you've seen that change under Lopetegui compared to Zidane's style of play? I've seen more pressing and faster passing, more frequent combination play, and less reliance on crosses. You kind of already touched on this, Jer- uh, Jeremy. Um, the other things I would say is that there's just there's no stagnancy offensively. Like If you look at the team so far in the preseason... And this is basically how we played with Spain during the entire qualification phase. Um, There was a lot of movement from everybody. Um, And in this particular scheme, if you look at it, the pressing is great. The players are in sync Um, behind them. The midfield is very cohesive and they're pressed with a forward. So they're able to retain the possession high up the pitch. Um, Their counterattacks have looked vulnerable as did Spain's. And I, I, I hope that gets rectified a little bit. Uh, but offensively, like there was a ton of ton of movement. Um, Bale gets the ball, he he makes a run inside, um, or he plays off the shoulder of a high line, or Asensio and Bale are drop uh, and Benzema are dropping deep to show as an outlet. Marcos Llorente dropping in behind the center backs to um, to kind of help uh, facilitate things from from deep. I, there's a lot happening, and the difference between that and some of the Actually, in Real Madrid and La Liga in general um, under Zidane last season was that there were there was just a lack of imagination, lack of creativity, some lethargy even creeping in. Um, there was some terrible performances away from home. One of them against Espanyol, which I'll never forget, which basically we were just doing a whole lot of nothing. And Bale would go to the left wing and casually cross it to zero people in the box when it should be him who's in the box, you know, heading it in. Um, there, it, there, it didn't look great. Um, again, we don't know how this will translate to the regular season, but offensively, there's just something brewing with Lopetegui that, to me, didn't exist last season in the league. Yeah, definitely not as stagnant. And that, that's part of the danger here is that you don't know exactly, from Atletico point of view, you don't know exactly what Lopetegui is going to bring or what this Real Madrid team is going to bring on Wednesday. It could be several different uh, styles. It could be several different... Uh, uh, you can be patient build up the best way for Atletico to counter that is to well counter it just use use their pace and yeah. try to count the counter effects. well it'll be interesting on that note because Ram just hasn't really faced a low block yet um, I now I, I didn't watch the Trofeo Bernabeu uh, at, in very much detail at all because I was away with my family but uh, the game against Roma, they played a very high line and they were just terrible defensively. This will be a nice test for Real because we haven't been tested yet in that sense of playing against a deeper block who's actually organized and good. So this will be a good test to see how Lopetegui can actually show his offensive creativity. We haven't been able to face a team like Atleti yet, so um, this is this is this is the best test yet. Um, Sajid Reyes says, he has two questions. One, what are your thoughts on signing the inter-duo of Icardi and Miranda? Icardi we are already linked with, and Miranda I think is perfect to have cover in defense, especially since Vallejo is perennially injured. His age also means that he won't hinder the long-term development of someone like Vallejo. I also think that this would be sweet revenge on Inter, who I think have been disgraceful in their efforts to unsettle Modric. We can really cripple them by signing their premier striker and defender. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to bring you into this because you know Miranda um, as well as anyone. Yeah, stay the hell away from him. That that's my opinion. So stay I away. I'm I, I'm I'm not a huge fan of him. I well one because he played for you guys and two I I just um, I don't know I. I 
at this point of his career, I'm not. I, I doesn't interest me much. I suppose as like a fifth choice center back, uh, he's more than a good signing in that situation. Um, you were telling me off here that you guys gave him a, a an ovation when you played yeah. against Inter. There was a very nice tribute uh, for him at uh, the Wanda Metropolitano on Saturday. Uh, he received his plaque honoring uh, the 178 games he played in red and white. Uh, he hung out and chatted with his old teammates, his ex-teammates before the game. Uh, gave Profe Ortega a really big hug. Uh, and there was an ovation for him and a big embrace with Simeone during uh, during the match. So it was really nice to see. And yeah, he, he's an Atletico legend. Um, that was really cool. So I so whether it's Miranda or someone else, I like the idea of signing a, a defender like this because to me this is an underrated uh, positional need that just no one has been talking about with Real Madrid is set. We have four center backs and one of them has been injured possibly more than Varane was ever injured as a youth player. Um, although that's debatable because Varane was quite injury prone. Uh, and then you had you have Nacho who's covering five positions. So I like the idea of signing someone for that role. Um, Miranda in this context has come has come out of nowhere. I don't think we're linked with them at all. But I really do think we need someone like this. Um, do you think Godin will will accept? Do you think he rejected Manchester because he's waiting for for Papa Flo to pay the buyout? <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. Keep telling yourself that. <laughs> um, second part of this question, uh, Sajid says, how is Odegaard as an option for the moderate position in the future? I've heard quite a few suggestions of this. Um, I'll just quickly say, Jeremy, that uh, I don't think Odegaard can play the moderate role at all. I, I can I can see the, the argument for him playing a bit deeper, like a, a an Isco role maybe. Uh I've had the chance to watch Odegaard basically game in, game out for three years now, since he was with Castilla, and he'll never be as good as Modric defensively, I don't think. Modric is just on another level when it comes to plugging holes defensively. Offensively, Odegaard is very exciting, and he has a composure and maturity to him that is very intriguing to me, but I don't think he'll ever be a Modric-type player. Um by the way, where do you where do you think he should go in on loan if he goes to a Spanish team in La Liga? Ooh, that's a good one. I hadn't thought much about that. Um, Is there any team in La Liga that just needs a a player who can just play on the right flank and cut in some creativity? Uh, I would have said Celta, but they have too many midfielders already. Uh, yeah, someone in the top half because what I've seen of Odegaard is is very talented. Quality. Maybe um, maybe Sociedad to replace Canales. Yeah, or or Yatsabal if he leaves. Oof. Do you, where if he leaves, where do you think he would go? Do you think Bilbao would pay that bio clause? It's gonna be Bilbao if he leaves. Imagine being a Bilbao fan in 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 this less than one year. You get Inigo and Oyarzabal. Yeah. What, oh. what a time to be alive. Yeah, fast derby has to be like must view. Yeah. Must view. But La, La Real, someone like that would be a good option for him. Because mm. I think he's ready for that next step. Yeah. He has to. I mean, look, he doesn't look... I don't think he'll look out of place in La Liga at all. I really don't. Um, Kevin Redmond says, Hey guys, so the third kit was released last week, and I think as a whole, this year's kits are some of the nicest the club has had. I know you guys have touched on it in past pods, but can you tell me your favorite kits... Um, in club history, and if you could design next year's kit, what would you want it to look like? Thanks, guys, in Hala Madrid. Um, what was your favorite Atlético kit ever? Favorite one ever? Um, 2013-14 home shirt. That one's great. 14-15? What? 13-14. 14-15. 13-14. Oh, the year you lost the Champions League final. Mm, no, that's the year we won La Liga and, sh- and should have won the Champions League final. Warren <laughs> Kyber, we would have won the Champions League final. Um, how long have you been supporting the team? Since 2012. 2012, okay. Um, f- forgive me for asking. Uh, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly just ignorance to this. Have Atletico ever had a different jersey than what they wear today? No. I don't see any dramatic differences from it year to year. No, it's been you know it's been red and white forever. Yeah, unless unless we're talking about maybe away kits, they differ. Like you had the yellow, yellow yeah, one, the, right? The yellow and blue of the year, like a one La Liga, and then they wore it again the next year because the club unveiled a, a white and gray away strip that no one liked because of obvious reasons. You had yeah, right yeah. Other than that, I can't really remember too many, but I do remember the yellow and blue one quite well. That one, that one was pretty slick. Yeah. The away kit, I think it was in, I think 2011-12, the away kit in 2011-12, which was like a a really kind of sharp blue with red and white stripe in the middle. That was a really sharp kit. Yeah. But I mean, like, for me, like, because I've I've been watching La Liga since the 99 season. And all I remember is just the red and white stripes. Yeah. Sometimes I... Sometimes I think you actually, I don't know if it was like for a special thing, but the the stripes one year were horizontal, I think, instead of vertical. I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head what year that might have been. Yeah. I'm, the late 90s shirts, though, were really just like one big stripe in the middle. I think the year Atletico got relegated, it was one big stripe in the middle and two smaller ones on the sides. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember that. Actually, I'm looking at it now. I'm pretty sure that was Brings the shirt. Some memories. Yeah, yeah. I think it was the Reebok shirt. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, favorite Real Madrid shirts ever. I have two. I um, have none. One ninety-nine. No, sorry. 2000, 2001 was the year we had no sponsor because it was our centenary year. Um, that was really slick. And then the year before that, 99, 2000, when we beat Valencia in the Champions League final, we had the, the black kit, long sleeve gold trim gold yellowish trim with the Tekka sponsor um i don't know if it's nostalgia but i do like the simplicity so if if you were to ask me like if i could design the next year's kit i'm not i'm no designer but i'm a sucker for simplicity so that's the direction i'd want to go in josie de santos says mariano recently replied to an article which said that he has turned down an offer to return to madrid by saying you can't say no to madrid do you think this transfer could happen and do you think that hypothetically would be a good signing? Um, I think even if a player says something like that, which is very um, very standard stuff that players say, um, I think unfortunately it's not always up to them where they go. Um, but Jeremy, like I will say I think that not having Mariano, if we had Mariano around last season in La Liga, he would have been tremendously helpful. He was really good last year. Yeah. Um, Chris G says, how do you guys feel about the Tiago rumors? Would he fit in Madrid's squad? Someone else asked, um, uh, Adrian Rios also asked, if, if we think a loan for Tiago, like if we loan Tiago option to buy, that gives us time for um, while we lose Kovacic and figure out if he if he's staying or going. And then if he, he doesn't end up staying in the squad, we could just bring Tiago back. Um, how do you think Tiago would fit in a Madrid squad? It it would be weird, especially since you guys already have Cruz and Modric to you know do all the the passing that Tiago does. I mean, I don't know. I'm not the world's biggest Tiago fan. Uh, I mean, I, I rate him, but not that highly. I mean, he's always hurt, first of all. And I think in this particular setup, you guys already have players who would do what he does. Um, he's not really an anchor. He's never really been one to you know make recoveries, intercept, interceptions, tackles, what have you. I don't think he he would be a great fit. I think it'd be a really kind of unnecessary signing. I, I I did a quick AMA on Twitter, and um, this KO question came up like every second tweet um, because I happened to do this thing uh, on the day where all the Tiago news broke. My response to like everything was that he's not needed. He's a good player. You sign him, you'd welcome him, you'd support him, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I don't, like you, I don't know where where you put him. Um, you can put him as a rotational piece or put Kroos as an anchor and Modric and Thiago and these three can just be interchangeable and pass teams to death and, and the opposing teams would never see the ball. I, I think that would be a disaster, though, if you ever lost the ball. <laughs> well, just 
cutting through that midfield would be like cutting through butter. Well, maybe, maybe not. But I would also say that I don't know how much of an upgrade he is in the roster at this point because yeah. even losing Kovacic now, all it really means is that Ceballos is going to finally play. So is it worth spending mon- that money on Thiago, who, by the way, didn't have a great year at Bayern? Right. And certainly Got- didn't have a good World Cup. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, and didn't have a good World Cup. And yeah, as you said, Ceballos desperately needs time. And Ceballos looks good. Yeah. He looks really good. Like I, I'm kind of excited to give Ceballos more playing time. Part of the reason why I'm not that upset about the Kovacic thing was because I'm really curious to just see one year of Ceballos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's like God, God forbid we forget that two seasons ago he was one of the best players in La Liga, best midfielders for sure. I almost did forget it because he barely played last year. Yeah, that's what I mean. So like, and and the other dude, Marcos Llorente, who to me was a top four defensive midfielder in Spain at the age of 21. Um, we just never saw him last season either. I think we're going to see both of them this year, and that 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 excites me. So then, you, there's a lot of like hypotheticals. But then next year, you're you're facing all these crossroads where Kovacic could come back, and theoretically, none of your problems are solved because Modric is still around. Let's say Ceballos has a great year. Then you start to actually think about um, Kovacic's tweet where he said. Goodbye, Madrid. Thanks for all the memories. Now, but by the way, I don't, I don't, can't read too much into that as others are because even though it sounded like a goodbye, I think it was just how else do you word that tweet other than saying thank you for Real Madrid? You can't say I'll be back next year because you just don't know, and that's kind it's, of disrespectful to Chelsea, right? It seemed like overkill, though. Yeah. I think in that situation you don't say anything rather than than risk it being analyzed like it has been. So I was thinking about it, but how would you? Let's say if you wrote the tweet again. To make it not as controversial, how would you word it? If I had to write the tweet, yeah, gun to your head, you had to tweet something. Uh, I, I'd probably say something like, you know, I probably would say something like, "See you next year." But I'd find a more diplomatic way to say it. But it's, do you it's think weird. if you said, "I'll it's see you weird. next year," then Chelsea fans are like, "Oh, so you're not sticking around? So what's the point of having you?" Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, it's a really a, a lose-lose situation. So I just wouldn't send the tweet. I. I would probably take the gun to my head rather than send the tweet. The way he worded it was uh, a bit ridiculous, though. A little bit. It was yeah. a bit dramatic. It was over the top. <laughs> yeah. Um, where are we at? Um, right. Oh, we get to talk about journalism. Okay. Nicholas Zapatero says, pretty random question. Um, this is off topic. You may be able to answer this from your experience as journalists. How is it that reputable sources can publish rumors that turn out to be completely false as if they were confirmed news stories when it comes to sports? And he sends us an example. The example is a tweet from Sky Sports about... Um, oh, inter- yeah, oh, that, was, that was a fun summer. From 2015, and the tweet says, um, uh, Breaking Sky Sports sources, Sergio Ramos tells Real Madrid he wants to leave and join Manchester United. Uh, and then... Nicholas goes on to say, do they just not care about their credibility when it comes to sports? Is it harder to be a diligent journalist in the sports world? Are they appeasing crazy football fans or is this the same shit they do in all their news facets and it's just easier to notice in the sports section? You go ahead, Jeremy. There's a lot there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I, I can tell you as a journalism student and someone who currently works in the sports media in the U.S., uh, it, it... it's not hard to be a diligent journalist in the sports world. It's really not. We want to get this information right. We always want to get information right. Uh, we always want to be as open and transparent as possible in our reporting. Sometimes it's, it, it just isn't possible. Uh, sometimes we we just can't reveal who a source is, and journalists get hammered for that, but it's all in protecting anonymity. It's all in the name of protecting your source's identity. Because if you if you burn a source, then you're done. You you just cannot burn a source. That is a, a an unforgivable sin in the journalism world. I think in Europe the standards are different. I don't want to say more relaxed because I don't live in Europe, uh, but the standards are different. There are more journalists who who openly support a club. Uh, Tomas Roncero is a great example of this. Uh, 
<laughs> someone who openly supports and um, capes for a club. Mm-hmm. I think to to a degree, uh, to I think maybe more more than a degree. On on a some level, it is appeasing crazy football fans. It, it is a pe- it, it is it does serve to appease uh, fans who are desperate for information, who will read just about anything that has you know linked with in it or in Spanish you know you know Real Madrid a por blank whatever player it is. Um, they they want to sell papers. They want to get clicks. Um, I, I, and it's not to say that that doesn't happen in America. It does happen in America, but I think it may be easier to identify what what is a good source and what is not in in the United States. Uh, it really journalists in all facets, not just in sports, but in news and politics and music. We all try to get it right. We always try to get it right. And when we screw up, we screw up, and we say sorry. We'll do better next time. Um, the, the the journalism world. It, Honestly, I've never thought it's that hard to do, but I'm you know, I'm wired weird. But it to me, it isn't really that hard to do. You just you try to report as truthfully as you can. You you talk to sources, multiple sources. Um, you try to get the best information you can. And if it turns out it wasn't great information, then that's on your source. That's not on you. And I think there's there's a perception that the journalist is always the person who screws up, not the you know, not the source. Well, that's the part where, um, depending on how reputable the journalist is, if they're reputable enough and they just get it wrong, I think you can can always say, by the way, the source themselves can be right also, and this then it can still all go to shit. Like, um, case in point, the whole Malcolm thing. Um, the, the, the Malcolm thing, like, even if, Malcolm himself would have would have tweeted, "I'm going to Roma." He would have been wrong. <laughs> so, right. um, so, yeah, sometimes crazy stories like that happen, and it, it's no one's fault. Well, in this case, it was Barcelona's fault because they're scummy. But it, in that yeah. case, it's no one's fault. Yeah. So, Breeze, I mean, journalists will always have the choice to to hear their source and to decide on their own how how legit or how likely it is, and then tweet it. Um, and then, then they, they know that when they tweet, the other thing is like, you know, they know that if they get it wrong, they just get clicks anyway. Right. They're, they're either going to get a bunch of new followers on Twitter, a bunch of retweets, or the publication they write for is going to get a ton of hits. And I know you all hate to hear this, but this is how we get paid. (laughs) Like this is, this is why it's a miracle. Any of us have a job is because you click on that stuff and if you don't, then there's no incentive to tweet and post that stuff, and then and and, and, um, and we probably don't get paid because quality journalism is great and fun, and people read it, but they will never generate the mass amount of hits that um, some of these stories do. Unless you're breaking just an incredible like investigative story, uncovering a, a, a corporation or uncovering some other mass corruption. Sure. No, you're not getting. Sure. That, that's- that's the risk we take as journalists. We don't make much money for what we do. Yeah, and that's why we have patreon.com slash managing Madrid. <laughs> yes, patreon.com slash culturenarrowchat. Um, they have an amazing podcast. Um, please go listen to it. We have a, we have basically like all of La Liga, the, the good the good parts of it covered just based on some of the SB Nation podcasts. Yeah. Um, please be sure to check out Culture Narrow Chat. Do you guys, are you guys doing any, you must be doing some Super Cup coverage. What, tell us what you're doing. Oh, yeah. Uh, we are doing some stuff on, on the site. You know, we're going to have all, all the goodies, a report, ratings, all that good stuff. I am going to do some stuff on the Patreon page for uh, our Colt Chanero Chat Amigos. From as little as $3 a month, Colt Chanero Chat Amigos can get access to our weekly bonus pods. We round up all the latest transfer rumors in Atletico World. Uh, and it went, oh, and the, when the Chinese Super League season comes back, we'll also do Chinese Super League roundups, so we can see how Yannick Carrasco and Nico Gaetan are doing. Wow! And they're not even on loan. You guys don't even own them anymore, right? Uh, not even Atletico players anymore. So this is just dedicated. for fun. We're very dedicated to the craft. It's a labor of love. But from three dollars a month, you can get the bonus pods. Uh, there are three different tiers to choose from. Uh, so yeah, check us out: Patreon.com/slash Chat. Become an amigo. Last question. Before I let you go, Jeremy. Tyler yeah. Dixon says, Why is there so much hate for Courtois? 
he was on he was on all blacks level or close to it when he was at atleti he had a great world cup and is only 26 can we take into account also how bad chelsea has been run in the past couple of years and him being unhappy being away from his family he's 26 so we can't get any better why the hate i'm not sure where the hate comes from it's certainly i don't think it comes from the podcast i think it comes from certain fans who um, somehow think it's completely correlated that we sold Cristiano Ronaldo and bought Courtois as replacement. Um, I, I de- <laughs> legitimately, I think it's they're upset because um, we quote-unquote prioritized the goalkeeper when we didn't need one. Um, but Courtois... didn't need one. Sorry? Which is true. You didn't need one. Navas is arguably better than Courtois. No, I think I think the, the reason why... Um, it makes sense though, Jeremy, is that you only paid 35 million for him um, yeah. in a crazy inflated market where Kepa went for 71, Allison for whatever. Um, I, I think Kepa, I think, and also the fact that now we go into three competitions next season with a backup goalkeeper that is not Kiko Casilla and it's Courtois or Navas. That's huge <laughs> for us. It's really big for us yeah. um, to not have that drop off. Um, I, I don't think he was ever on All Black's level. Um, All Black is, is a complete alien. I, I, he may be the most underrated goalkeeper of all time. Uh, I don't like the, the Courtois thing, the hate if it comes from anywhere. I don't know if it's Madridistas. Although some of them might be directing their hate towards the signing, but Chelsea fans will certainly hate him. For the way he just kind of, you know, and his agent reported today he was on stress leave because he was stressed about not going to Madrid. Uh, uh-huh. But, you know, the, the Chelsea fans will hate him for the way he just kind of did not show up. Atleti fans will hate him because of they were, they were already mocking him because he was saying he his dream was to play for Real Madrid. And he had a Casillas jersey back in the day when he was insulting Real Madrid just a few years ago when he was an Atleti player. It's safe to say, I think uh, he's not probably not going to play the Super Cup. Um, well, I'm pretty sure he's not. But do you think that he gets a pretty bad reception in the in the derby at Wanda? Oh, oh yeah, he's yeah. going to get a really bad reception. There yeah. was there was uh, this thing. There was a petition posted around Twitter. Uh, some Atletico supporters set it up, like throwing toy rats at Courtois. Yeah, from IKEA, um, right? Yeah, right. And that is a horrible idea, and no supporter should engage in that because that doesn't make them any better than Majidis does. Uh, but aside from that, yeah, I, I can't, I can't really speak to Chelsea's hatred or Chelsea fans' hatred of Courtois. Yeah, I, I get why it exists, but uh, this is a guy who was between the sticks when Atletico won a Europa League title, a Copa del Rey at the Bernabeu and La Liga, and should have won a Champions League, all within a three-year span. Uh, it's pretty easy to understand why Atletico fans uh, have already started defacing his plaque on the Legends Walk outside the stadium. Uh, it, it looks almost as bad as Hugo Sanchez's already. Uh, another guy who started, who made his name at Atletico before ending at Madrid. Yeah, um, I, 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 I can't remember. I remember they, what did they do to Hugo, Hugo's tile? What, um, actually, like, did they just mark it up? Like, what was it? Uh, I think at one point there was fecal matter on it. I don't know from which species, but it, yeah, it was really bad. Uh, they've done that to Hugos. They've done it to Artaturans. They and now they're doing it to Courtois. Uh, and it's understandable. Personally, I don't. It's a big shrug of the shoulders for me. I said it on my podcast earlier this week. It it's a big eh. Uh, if Old Black had left Atletico, it would have been a different story. Uh, Courtois may have come back to Atletico if Old Black had been sold this summer. Or if yeah, if, if Oblak had gone, Courtois might have come back. But this, the vacancy was not there. Uh, it, he's not going to go to Hitafe or Rio. You know, he, he's going to go to you know the next best thing, which is for him Real Madrid. And, and I, I can't speak to you know how big a Casillas fan or how big a, a Madrid fan he was when he was a kid. I can't speak to that. Um, or him kissing the badge. It's it's whatever you know saying this is the club I've always wanted to play for. Okay, great. Of course you're going to say that. You're being presented as a player at that club. Uh, for me, it, it's a big shrug of the shoulders. I, I think Oblak is the better goalkeeper. I, As good as Courtois is, I don't think it's really a debate. I think Oblak is a better keeper than him. 
and Atletico don't have the vacancy. They don't have the need. They're not going to sell Oblak just to bring back Thibaut Courtois. Like, uh, the club was smart not to do that. Uh, and they, they have the better end of the deal anyway. If, and I, again, if the vacancy was there, if the situation was different, then, yeah, and if Courtois still chose to go to Real Madrid, then I would have a bigger problem with it. Um, what's your prediction for Wednesday? Who? 1-1, Atletico win on penalties. The classic 1-1 win on penalties. Okay. I'm going to say 3-2 for Real Madrid. We'll get a measure of revenge for, for 2016. I think it's going to be a fun game. It is. It's yeah. going to be really fun because both of these teams are, are still in transition. There's still some rust and a lot of things to work out. So it, it's going to be fun. A, a touch of unpredictability about it. I'm excited. Nervous, but excited. Before I let you go, Jeremy, can you please tell us where people can find your work? Where um, where on Twitter should they go to follow you, etc.? I am on Twitter at JB Baron. That's J B B E R E N. I'm the site manager, a co-site manager with Robbie Dunn over at Into the Calderon. Uh, we do what Managing Madrid does just for Atletico instead. Uh, my podcast, Colt Chanero Chat, is a weekly English-language Atletico podcast, the only one around and also the best one around. Uh, as I mentioned, we have the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Chat, where we do bonus pods and some other cool stuff. Jeremy Barron, it's always pleasure talking to you like the twice a year, I think, we're up to now, where we, where we discuss... Um, La Liga, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid it's always a fun, always always a pleasure you do outstanding work um, and it's, it's, it's an honor to follow you on Twitter and follow your work thanks for joining the show man uh, appreciate it Gansomani, thank you so much, let's, let's do it four times this year let's do it, I'm, I'm psyched don't get my hopes up <laughs> no, we'll make it happen, thanks man see you Jeremy This phone drives me crazy. Excuse me, I'm the Sprinter and from Sprint. Try my new iPhone XR with an amazing liquid retina display. This is amazing. Mind if I snap a few photos? Look at that color. I love this display. I, uh, I'm going to need that back. Switch to Sprint and get iPhone XR 64 gigabytes for $0 per month with an eligible trade-in and a Sprint Flex lease. Visit a Sprint store, sprint.com slash iPhone, or call 1-800-SPRINT-1. Phone $0 per month for 18 months after $31.25 per month. Credit apply within two bills. If you cancel early, remaining balance due. Excludes tax. Subject to credit. $30 activation fee. Coverage and offer not everywhere. Restrictions apply. Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus $30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate. Sports Social Podcast Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.